0: And good evening, or good morning, or good afternoon, whatever the case may be, wherever you are around this rotating, very hot globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, when literally now, anything can happen. I presume most of you who are listening tonight... um, are familiar with the extraordinary soap opera that un- unfolded uh, a couple, three weeks ago, around the submersible called the Titan, in its attempted dive on the ruins of the Titanic, which is something like twelve thousand five hundred feet beneath the surface of the uh, North Atlantic Ocean, uh, kind of off Newfoundland. Anyway. Um, There is still continuing echoes of that story, which gripped the planet like none other that I can remember in recent history that wasn't a disaster, a war, a mutiny, you know, an invasion, whatever. This was one of those on the edge of your chairs unfolding stories that literally had a beginning, a clarion call of emergency, a countdown, a end moment when if the occupants of the Titan were somewhere grounded on the bottom of the ocean, running out of air. In other words, the story had every aspect to make people in an incredibly blasé age literally hang on the edge of their seats. And that I don't think nor does my guest tonight, uh, someone who's been on The Other Side of Midnight many times, but not for a very long time, much too long, uh, Chris Knowles, who was our symbolic expert, and we'll get into what that means when we, uh, when we get into uh, Chris's background. Anyway, um, before we get to our main subject, I wanna put a few connecting dots in place. Um, if you go to The Other Side of Midnight, you're new to the show, Go to The Other Side of Midnight, look for tonight's banner, which says at the very top, uh, TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com, was the titan a deliberate ritual sacrifice to the titans? With our guest there, Christopher Knowles. Click on that banner, that will take you to uh, uh, the guest page. And under the guest page, under that banner, you'll see two names, mine and Christopher's. Click on mine. Click on Richard. That will take you to the Radio with Pictures section of the website, and I have some news items that very importantly are connected to what we're going to talk about primarily tonight, which is the developing, accelerating, expanding mysteries around the sinking of this bizarre private enterprise submersible, which uh, should not have sunk and that's a very long complicated three-hour story so stay with us you're gonna find out some things tonight that I guarantee you you have never heard before certainly in connection with this still developing global saga but before we get to that go to my first item there in radio with pictures Um, the engineering community scientists are developing solar cell technology now that should be shockingly easy And even more important cheap to produce as rapidly it's quoted in the article as printing a newspaper now why is this important well here in the great American Southwest for the last uh, couple of weeks we have had record record temperatures today the temperature exceeded 102 degrees and I'm at uh, 6500 feet we're somewhat higher here than Denver over a mile high and it's predicted based on charts and weather patterns and highs and lows and the stationary high over the southwest that this is going to continue for days and days and days and obviously the impact on air conditioning um, particularly in states like Texas where there are people dying of the heat there is an extraordinary uh, political situation vis-a-vis the independent Uh, state-run power company which is uh, kind of separate from the grid and it has been said over and over again this summer that the only reason that uh, millions of Texans are not being browned out meaning that their access to power for air conditioning is being curtailed is because they have had a rising um, commerce and industry of alternative power wind windmills and solar. And given that this last couple weeks is in terms of global record keeping and forensics in the way of climatology, which goes back through strata and ice uh, corings and all that to look at temperatures hundreds of thousands of years ago, what we're going through right now are temperatures on Earth worldwide, because we wired the world and by a satellite Any sensor anywhere on the planet can be interrogated and its data is uplinked and recorded. So we have really a global temperature map. And everywhere in the world, the average temperature has exceeded anything recorded in the geological record for the last 125,000 years. That is absolutely bizarre. That is absolutely shocking. So the antidote, in the short term, is making lots more, stop putting lots of carbon dioxide from fossil fuel plants into the atmosphere. A longer-term solution, the one that I'm frankly increasingly enamored with, which will solve the problem in a relatively short period of time. I'm talking like uh, you know a decade, uh, if past history is prolonged but which will permanently solve the problem until you know, the fossil fuel CO2 has been um, reabsorbed in the terrestrial sinks for carbon dioxide, which is the only way really to get it out of the atmosphere unless you begin looking at very incredibly expensive uh, sequestration technologies to basically capture it and then store it underground. in ways that it can never be released, certainly in the the projected timeline of human civilization. The other alternative, which is really amazingly cool, and has been researched at some length uh, by MIT, and is actually, I believe, being looked at seriously by this White House, is basically creating a space-based alternative that will shield the Earth from increasing solar insulation, thereby dropping the global temperatures, thereby bringing the equation of climate back into equilibrium. And all that is incredibly complicated, incredibly expensive, and incredibly politically um, contentious. But we're gonna be dealing with it in the next couple, three weeks. I'm working on getting some really amazing guests Who have developed through mit a technology which um elon musk if he so choose to add to a list of you know uh, to do things uh basically keeping the earth from roasting alive uh it would not be beyond the purview of his currently envisioned starship technology on more reason to be looking really carefully at what musk is really up to and i don't mean twitter anyway the relationship of this to tonight's show um will be apparent very soon item number two uh we are off to another extraordinarily interesting and hopefully predictive soap opera vis-a-vis the moon um yesterday friday uh, indian time the indian government launched its third attempt to go to the moon with an unmanned robotic uh, mission, and its second attempt, called Chandrayaan-3, and Chandrayaan in Sanskrit means moon vessel or moon ship. Chandrayaan-3 is going to the moon, we'll get there in about a month, it's taking the slow boat to China, and they're going to attempt to land another unmanned uh, lander and rover, while keeping in orbit something called a propulsion module which only has one experiment. I will explain what all this means in great detail next Saturday. We are tentatively looking at another show about the moon, and I think if they will listen, and I've been told by sources that they are listening in India to the other side of midnight, I'm going to lay out a blueprint for how, as opposed to all the other private missions and non-Russian-Chinese and U.S. missions which have tried it and have crashed, I'm gonna lay out a recipe, a a to-do list, a, a mission profile for how the Indians, if they're listening, can safely get this unmanned spacecraft down to the surface of the moon again at the South Pole. And all of that will come in great detail next Saturday in our current uh, projected planning what does this all have to do with the titan well these missions are all precursors to the ultimate goal of uh, elon musk which is to send private astronauts into lunar orbit at the end of next year and actual nasa astronauts because he has the uh, contract with nasa to develop a lunar lander version of the starship to basically take the artemis astronauts down to the surface of the moon in 2025 in um, artemis 3. all of this could be imperiled by what began to surface in the extensive overwhelming coverage regarding the sinking of the titan submersible a couple three weeks ago because a lot of people started writing about well <clears throat> if it's not safe to have private enterprise missions to the Titanic, you know, to uh, 12,000 feet plus down, is it safe to have space tourism, including Musk proposing to take astronauts, private astronauts, artists on the first around the moon mission for Musk to and from the moon. And that, of course, is the umbrella kind of lies over and beyond our discussion tonight vis-a-vis this private submersible, because one of the, shall we say, suspicious things is the connection of an incredibly difficult private project, i.e. diving 13,000 feet down on the Titanic, and something which technologically is much simpler and much safer inherently, which is uh, private tourist missions to the space station or to the moon itself. They are not the same. The risk levels are absolutely not the same as are other factors which we will get into uh, at some length later on this morning. Item number three is apropos of this. It turns out that out of uh, 90 attempted dives by the Titan submersible, uh, developed by this uh, private company called Oceangate. It's almost like they were preloaded for the conspiratorial theme of, of the uh, evening. You know, Watergate, um, uh, Oceangate, any gate is now a political crisis and uh, uh, catastrophe and, uh, uh, you know, basically something that one does not want to be involved in. Anyway, Oceangate, the, the founding corporation tried 90 times it turns out according to the public record to dive on the Titanic and were successful only on 13. Which of course raises in my mind why were those five so-called passengers or explorers who paid the equivalent of a quarter million dollars apiece to go and die why did they even deign to get aboard? What convinced them to become sacrificial lambs, metaphorically speaking. If you take a look at the technology in the background and the controversy over the company and the head of the company, Stockton Rush, and the background of the uh, uh, five people who died in the Titan, none of it makes any sense. None, none, none. So I began looking and I called up Chris uh, Knowles, who of course is a very interesting individual. Let me get into uh, Chris's background here. He is the... Uh, author of the Eagle Award-winning Our Gods Were Spandex, The Secret History of Comic Book Heroes. He is also co-author of The Complete X-Files, Behind the Series, The Myths, and The Movies. And he wrote a while ago The Secret History of Rock and Roll, The Mysterious Roots of Modern Music. He's been the associate editor and columnist for the five-time Eisner Award-winning comic book artist magazine, as well as writer and reviewer for the UK magazine, Classic Rock. Chris has appeared on ABC's 2020, VH1's Metal Evolution, and many other radio shows, including Man Cow in the Morning, National Public Radio, and The Voice of America. He's also appeared in several documentaries, such as Wonder Woman, Daughter of Myth and the Man, The Myth Superman, and he was invited to lecture on science fiction, mysticism, and mythology at the legendary Essel Institute at Big Sur, California, in 2008 and 2009. And he regularly blogs on extraordinarily interesting, if esoteric, topics on his blog called The Secret Sun. So without further ado, Chris, come on down. Hey. Hey. Too long, too long. I'm here. Super. Okay, let me finish kind of the wind-up on this. Because this is so amazingly interesting that you and I, not having talked for what at least what a year or two, something like that, we both we both have independently come to the same idea about this international soap opera. So item number four: Who were the passengers who you know forked over a quarter mill to go and die? They are listed in item number four, and when you get into their background. It gets even even weirder there is a common if bizarre i'm going to say it extraterrestrial thread running through throughout this astonishing and totally uncalled for disaster item number five i'll tell you what let's leave uh, number five till we get into the conversation So let me ask you point blank, Chris, what made you, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up as this was unfolding a few weeks ago and go, wait a minute, there's something really wrong here with the conventional coverage of this story?
1: Well, first of all, it reminded me, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Radio Days by Woody Allen. Yes. And the girl is trapped on the well. It was just that kind of thing. But just the fact that it was all centered around the solstice was very strange to me. And then the fact that like none of these people seem like real people, um, there's something very off about them. Something just feels off. Um, you know, I've been looking to Stockton Rush, and uh, his history is very weird. I mean, he's a person, he obviously exists.
2: <laughs> this, this,
0: this was the CEO of the company, OceanGate, which contracted with various independent suppliers, Put together the uh, carbon fiber, the end caps, the the window, uh, and put the whole submersible together as part of a ten or fifteen year effort. If you can believe what you read in in various uh, uh, reportage,
1: which I, I don't necessarily. I'm not in, you know inclined to believe what's being reported. There's something very off about this. Um, maybe not. I mean. There are things going on that have been going on past few years, especially, that just don't seem real. They seem very staged and they present people that seem like actors to me, that seem like almost uh, archetypes. Uh, you know, we have this Stockton Rush, and then we have this uh, Paul Henry uh, Norgale, uh Hamish Harding. And Shazada Dawood. It reminds me of, um, of an Arthur C. Clarke novel for some reason. I mean, it's just the, the cast of characters here are—they are, don't seem entirely real. Uh, and the fact that yeah, but this, wait, 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 wait,
0: wait—they're all real people because you can find a million bios all over the net and news. That's sources. not my
1: point. That's a, the point is—is is that there's something unreal about this. There is something. Yeah, but
0: that's different from saying that the people themselves are not real.
1: Well, I did, I did just say that the people are real. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just talking about the way this whole thing has been constructed.
0: Oh, it's like they were all mind-controlled to walk into the cattle chute and be slaughtered. Well... On schedule. T- on a well, schedule.
1: I'll tell you one thing. I mean, one of the, this is extreme possibility, but I am also of the mind that this is like another challenger situation, and these guys are all just going to show up like in 10, a, 10 years or so, and... Nobody will be able to talk about why Stockton Rush is just, you know, wandering around New York or something, uh, you know, like uh, we saw with the crew of the Challenger. So uh, there's just something the ritual doesn't necessarily need to shed blood to be ritualistic. You know, uh, you know, we have the example of the. Um, uh, communion wine or the grape grape juice. If you're Protestant, uh, you know you don't necessarily have to drink blood, right? Um, ritual, by definition, is theatrical. It's symbolic, and there's just something here that just seems very much symbolic, very unreal. Uh, but the fact that it all centers around the solstice during a time of these unprecedented solar storms that um, you, you alluded to the uh, the heat that is gripping, uh, you know, certainly most of this country. Um, and the solar storms that were starting to be observed, I believe in May, if, if I'm not mistaken. Well, uh, we're, on, we're speak- on the
0: way to another solar maximum, which is the <laughs> 22 year full cycle of sunspots and solar surface activity. so. You know that's but that's not causing the heat the heat is caused by by trapping you know temperatures inside the earth's atmosphere and that's the co2 model it's just galloping ahead yeah, at a rate. I, I,
1: don't, I don't know if i necessarily believe that well the uh, numbers I, I look
0: let's not argue about that because the numbers are there you can look them up they're real putting our heads in okay. the sand and saying that it's not happening it's 102 here this afternoon come on
1: yeah, no. but we also had unprecedented solar storms, and you're talking but about... But that solar doesn't maximum. have
0: anything to do with weather.
1: The, it, the sun it, doesn't have anything to it, do with no, weather? No,
0: the, the solar storms do not impart enough energy to change the Earth's temperature by a hundredth of a degree. Well, it's, they're
1: talking about the solar storms can wipe out the Internet. Uh, they're talking about yeah, the entire Yeah, but that's because of EM interference.
0: Down. That's a good old, you know, resonant electromagnetic fields. Which the very complicated technical discussion. What I'm looking at is: Do you realize what year this is in terms of the sinking of the Titanic, which was a huge red flag for me, in terms of ritual symbolism?
1: Well, I have a whole different body of symbolism, but if you wanted to cover that, um, well, but do. they're not
0: necessarily opposed. I think, no, they, they, I, they think they I, they I think they interleave. I think they they complement each other. Let me tell you the first red flag I had. This is literally the 111th year of the sinking of the Titanic. Mm -hmm. And 111, you know, 11, 11, 11 to infinity is 19.5. It's a hyperdimensional ritual Mm. that could only Mm -hmm. take place around the solstice. And the reason it wasn't exactly on the solstice is because the real physics is not linked to the actual solstice date. It's a window depending upon the year. So this Mm -hmm. was a solstice ritual to a hyperdimensional sun, the secret sun which connects to other dimensions, in the 111th, 19.5 year of the deliberate sinking of the Titanic as a huge 19th century, 20th century ritual, if I'm on track to looking at this in a different way. And in terms of these people not really being dead, these people have no compunction about ritual murder. Oh, I'm aware of that. So I have no doubt these people are dead. What I want to know, how were they convinced to walk in and sit in a death trap, which anybody now looking at the background of the company and the development of this technology and the fact that they only succeeded 13 out of almost 100 tries, nobody in their right mind would get into a death trap, particularly not the guy from France who had done 30-plus dives. I think it's the Magic 33 and who knew (laughs) submersibles up and back and forward and had been down in every conceivable state-of-the-art submersible without a problem. I mean, we have had private submersibles diving on the Titanic since 1985. Mm -hmm. This is Mm -hmm. the first catastrophe. Why? Because the head of the company, Stockton Rush, would not allow it to be certified and he built a death trap and everybody let
1: him. Yes, well, I think there's a a lot of machismo and adrenaline junkie kind of thinking going on here. I think there's a lot of uh, peer pressure. You know, you're asking why why people would allow themselves to uh, be put into this death trap. Well, people do stupider things every single day, don't they? I mean, people uh, put themselves in extremely dangerous situations where they're often killed just to sh- show off for a TikTok video, for instance. Uh, the fact that this thing was used, used a Logitech game controller, that's very interesting <laughs> symbolism to me as well, because well, wait a wait, wait, wait,
0: wait. wait, wait. It, it was repurposed electronically. The US Navy does the same thing. It turns out that this technology commercial, when it's revamped, like NASA takes commercial technology, like Br- GoPro cameras, and Mm -hmm. repurposes them for space missions. You know, why pay for all the research and development if some company has done it and is now broken even and can offer it for a background price to a, a government purpose? So I'm not, that doesn't bother me except for the symbolism because it comes back to the idea this was really a game.
1: Well, it's not only that, but the fact, I mean, those things, maybe the U.S. Navy, uses something, but I'm sure they're not made, you know, commercial grade. No, you know,
0: and, right? and, and, and they're not using Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, Everybody I mean, to a man on the board and on the, the the other outside experts that were, you know, called in various times, they all said, you're nuts if you don't hardwire that.
1: Well, the ritualistic aspect besides the solar issue, the solstice issue, um, is does get back to the fact that there was clearly an immense amount of attention being drawn to this, something that is really not in and of itself all that big a story. I mean, people going down on a submarine or, or any kind of submersible and dying is not, you know, stop the presses worldwide. You know, that clearly is the thing that leads me to believe that there is a very heavy ritualistic aspect to this. But it's also the naming, okay, the ocean gate, the gate, The Stargate, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) the abyss. Um, And this, oddly enough, when you talk about synchronicity, I was out in Illinois at the Theosophical Center giving a talk on the Titans and the Watchers and the Apkallu and uh, (laughs) the Archons. I mean, all these things. Oh, that's
0: excellent. Why don't we do that as a backgrounder when we start the next half hour? Because we're about two minutes from the bottom of the hour. But, yeah, they renamed, Stockton renamed uh, this submersible, which had another name, uh, Explorer or something like that, to the Titan, Mm. which I thought was incredible, because, of course, the Titanic was also named for the Titans. Mm -hmm. And so diving in the Titan in the tetrahedral 111th year with five rich people who were all civilians, no government involved, just average quote folks except for their bank accounts, and then murdering them. Because remember, we've been doing this kind of diving since 85 with not one fatality. Mm. And I remember Mm -hmm. way back when, and I probably don't have time to tell the story on this side of the break, let me tell you a story from my own childhood which made me realize something really amazing was going on here that most other folks may not be tuned into which of Mm. course is why I have you tonight for a full three hours. Okay, so let's sit back. Everyone take a deep breath. Go to the kitchen if you have to, go to other rooms if you have to. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Tonight we're delving into the mysteries and the possible ritual sacrifice aspects of the sinking of the Titan submersible. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, we shall return.
2: Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
0: And welcome back, everyone, to this uh, Saturday night, July 15th edition of The Other Side of Midnight. My guest this morning is Chris Knowles, who is our kind of resident. Uh, tell you, let, let me tell you the story. When I was a kid, you know, of course, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have television. I mean, television existed, but our family didn't want us to have television because my parents didn't want us programmed. Even back then, they were leery of television as this... Uh, babysitter in the room, so we didn't get television until much later in my teen years. But we did have radio. And so we could listen to shows like uh, The Lone Ranger. Thursday, parents would drive to the supermarket to do their food shopping. And I remember sitting in the back seat in the dark, between the seats, looking at the radio, glowing in the dark as we drove to and from, listening, listening on radio, which of course is gripping. For a kid with an imagination, to the Lone Ranger and his, uh, you know, great horse Silver. Anyway, radio in those days played a huge role, even bigger than I think television does now, because you had very few independent networks to listen to for global events. But somewhere in the summer of, and it was probably in the um, early 50s, there was a sea. Uh, emergency, a sea soap opera unfolding on live radio. There was a ship that had been struck by a storm in the North Atlantic and a valiant captain named Ericsson. And what caught my attention, of course, was he was a Swede and our family was Swedish. So, you know, my parents listened to it a lot. And he was trying to get this ship, which had been abandoned by all the crew. They'd all been taken off. But he, as the captain, refused to leave the ship after all the crew were off. And he tried to get her towed to the nearest port, which was two or three days away, somewhere in the North Atlantic off, off Europe. And I remember vividly looking back from my, my Roddenberry years that what captured my attention was the name of the ship was the Flying Enterprise. So you can look it up on Google. And it, it it carried on for days after days, and it was like this unfolding live melodrama of the five survivors somewhere on the floor near the Titanic in their submersible, you know, stranded because the weights wouldn't release or whatever. And their air was running out, and every night was a new facet of the soap opera. It had all of the trappings of a a, a world gripping event that got the involvement of how many separate uh, submergies from Canada, from New Zealand, from France, from you know the Brits, and of course the U.S. Coast Guard. In other words, this was a huge effort bigger than anything in decades if there ever was anything comparable all for five private people presumed to be sitting on the bottom of the ocean with their air running out with time running out and no one knowing how to read it was absolutely irresistible both back during my that radio show or that epic series and what happened a few weeks ago Chris? Yes. There you are. Okay. So to me, it looked like somehow it either was going viral or it was being promoted in order to go viral so that the whole planet's consciousness was focused on these five people. And then I began Mm. to look at their backgrounds and I found something increasingly weird. Because we've all said, those of us that have been involved in this research work, that the one event that's going to bring the whole world together uh, for ill or good is going to be the discovery that we're not alone, that there are extraterrestrials, that there is this inordinate global impacting reality that no one can avoid, even in the middle of nowhere, in an era of satellites, where we meet the others for the first time in modern history okay so this began to look like a setup for what i call the beam me up scotty scenario suppose alternate scenario you'd had these five people stranded then their air ran out they're still presumed to be alive kind of like the heisenberg thing the cat in the in the box is it alive or dead you don't know till you open the box right Uh, You know, it was called the, uh, well, what's the name of that? Um, the, The Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle is behind it. Anyway, so I began to wonder, would this be the entree for real extraterrestrials, real family ETs, part of the Titan group, to show up after they're presumed dead having rescued them with ET technology Maybe up to and including beaming them aboard some Earth-orbiting spacecraft from their watery grave. Would that not be the perfect way to introduce humanity to the shocking and startling idea we're not alone? By having the E.T. show up as rescuers, as guardian angels, right directly into the heart of the most human of consciousness, which is everybody was praying these folks would make it that they were still alive, right? Well, it's now been, what, three weeks? And they haven't shown up. So that model is sinking fast, pun intended. (laughs) But it got me thinking about if this was a ritual, in whose favor was it? Which gods were trying to be propitiated? And was it some kind of a ceremony to introduce the idea that we are not alone? Because one of the uh, passengers the uh pakistani billionaire dawah it turns out he just joined the board of directors of the seti research institute in california Mm. what in the world is a pakistani businessman doing part of an et contact effort in california going down to look at the titanic then i went in the background of uh hamish hardy the billionaire who is kind of like a uh, unknown uh, Branson, except Hardy, which probably has as much money, he's into the airline business with charter services, and he works primarily, I guess, out of the Middle East, even though he's a British national. Well, I found out that a few years ago, Hamish Hardy, billionaire adventurer, you know, member of the Explorers Club, uh, where I visited many times, accompanied buzz aldrin to the antarctic just a couple three years ago the same trip where aldrin tweeted out that there was incredible evil involved somehow in the antarctic and they carried him out on a stretcher and in public speaking he's never been the same since Mm. what are the odds Mm. so i've been looking at this in the again 111th tetrahedral 19.5 year of the titanic <clears throat> as part of a mega ritual involving the reason the titanic the ship that could not be sunk in uh, you know ode to the gods the titans sank on her first voyage as a metaphor for all of human technological civilization at this key defining moment in solar system time
1: mm. well do you want my take yeah on this? of
0: course <laughs> so go start with who were these ancient gods of the greeks the titans and why should we give a damn
1: well let's get a little let's rewind just a little bit because you were talking about this thing was originally had another name the original name was the cyclops yes <laughs> okay it, was, it was another
0: it was another greek god
1: Yes, the Cyclops are part. There's this whole. Well, they were the uh, giants. Yes, but there's this whole group of different gods who were all. They were minor gods, but they were all craftsmen.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Now the Cyclops are very closely related related to the Kaviri. Now the Cava-Iri are the great gods of Samothrace. And guess how they got down to the to the earth? They crashed in a meteor (laughs) it was like roswell all over again oh well that's cute uh they crashed in a meteor uh they can't that's how they came down to earth uh in a flaming star and they taught uh cadmus you're probably familiar with cadmus whose name actually is synonymous with lucent right and they're all these and also one of the high upper end metallic uh
0: cadmium metals
1: yes exactly now um the great gods and the cyclops are also closely related to these other gods uh, the apkalu okay and the apkalu are the seven sages of sumerian babylonian religion okay now what we're talking about we're talking about all these figures that are extraterrestrial or um oceanic <laughs> subsurface oceanic creatures And they come to Earth or they come to the surface, teach mankind the ways of civilization and so on, and then return to the depths or to outer space. Now, the thing that you need to understand, we're going to get into Osiris in just a moment here, but the outer space was seen to be water by the ancients. Yeah, it was
0: called the Absu, the abyss.
1: Yes, the abyss, the waters above the firmament, and that's where the Titans were relegated to when they lost the war with the gods right they were Tartarus the abyss okay now I've been tracking a number of different publicly presented events let's just say Uh, I'm just going to be very careful about my uh, terminology here in which um, the symbolism of releasing these gods from either inside the earth or from beneath the waves beneath the ocean the abyss and so on and it's really the same thing because the the ancients saw that you know if you went down far enough into the earth you would get to water I mean well we're supposed
0: to be a turtle floating on an infinite ocean
1: exactly now Osiris now this is very interesting so Horus and Osiris are, are just part of this sort of cycle. Okay, so Horus rises on in the east, right? Travels across the sky and sets in the west, right? And then becomes Osiris, and Osiris travels beneath the the waters, the the underworld, which is waters. He travels in his boat, right? He travels in his bark, and becomes, you know, when when he finishes this journey. He becomes Horus once again, so it's all very cyclical. Now, you probably, I'm sure, I don't even—it's not even a question—that you're familiar with this symbology. But the um, the uh, dismemberment of Osiris, right, and everything—all the body parts could be found except for the phallus, which Isis fashioned um, uh, an artificial <laughs> one. To uh, she took the form of a kite, which is a kind of hawk, and you know impregnated herself to give birth. To Horus. Well, wait, wait, now, wait, wait! Didn't she? No, no, no. Let me just finish this thought. So, I want people to go online if if you haven't seen what this Ops, AKA Titan, looks like, uh, just go have a look at it because <laughs> it's a very distinct and unusual shape to me. And I, I'll just say this: uh, I, you know, cover your ears if you're um, you have a dainty disposition. But to me, the Titan looked very much like a severed phallus um, and the fact that it by all accounts no you're
0: right to... on You're absolutely right yeah. on because yes, I mean, uh, because the, the member that Isis couldn't find was his phallus the generative organ and in one of the myths she makes one out of gold now why is gold important because gold is the generative metal on the atomic mass scale which is one Nine, five.
1: 9.5. 19.5. Mm. <laughs> now, I'll tell you something else. Um, we've discussed Las Vegas, of course, uh, quite notoriously back in 2017 when we were on the air while shots were ringing out over the um, boulevard there. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, we were actually talking, we were discussing symbolism as that was all going down. Do you remember that, Richard?
0: Of course, yes.
1: Yes, yes. So uh, at the same time, or, or shortly after, I should say, this whole situation with the Titan, aka Cyclops, aka Osiris, Phallus, um, all sorts of different associations. There, we also saw the Las Vegas Sphere finally opening. Uh, did you see that? With yes. The giant <sighs> eye, the Watcher. Well, they the they, they can they, they can put any
0: they can put anything on that thing. It's over five hundred feet in diameter. It's the world's biggest led live screen they even did the moon mars you know they can replicate anything and i only saw a brief clip
1: Mm. well see my interpretation we talked about um the janet air area 51 connections to that whole las vegas situation right and what i see with this dome so just remember Let's get into the symbolism here. Let's just sort of get a little down and dirty. We have the severed phallus, fashioning a gold phallus, and impregnating herself uh, with the new Osiris, Horus, right? But what what is the symbol of 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 Sirius, right? It's the the dome, the womb. You see what I'm saying? Okay. So go look at that sphere again, and say, what if this is meant to symbolize a, a pregnant woman's belly
0: um that you know it's
1: i think that's a bit of a reach no it's not a reach and I, you know this ties back to how i first discovered this whole phenomenon of watcher adoration and i discovered this phenomenon uh something called the millennium dome in uh greenwich england and they had this it's a very long story but they had this what they called the womb room in within this dome again another dome um that uh was giving birth to giants there it was called the womb room and they had all these giants these giant figures these giant statues and i don't know if you've noticed if if you've seen what's been going on uh for the past couple of years now all these like hideous giant statues just showing up all over the world both to the uh, the Watchers and the Nephilim.
0: Well, you know why that's relevant? The precursor ancient civil... Because we've been tracking ancient terrestrial civilizations going back tens, hundreds of thousands of years. There was a time, and I can prove it by the scale of the architecture, both on Mars and on the moon, that the precursors to humanity currently were giants, physical Mm. giants. So when you're involving titan mythology you know the children of the gods giant pre-adamic race on earth i mean it all is part of the same pie
1: Mm. but you know look at the symbolism that we have so we have all have these universal myths of a precursor race right a precursor race of the the mighty men of renown as we read Mm -hmm. the bible or the Mm -hmm. the atlanteans yep yep or the uh, the Titans, the Watchers on and on and on. And they're all imprisoned in the abyss or the underground. And again, it's the same thing. It's the same symbolism. It, it, it both leads to the same understanding that the ancients had. So when we see, you know, you ask, you know, if this was this sort of very sick mass ritual, who would be being appealed to, you know, who would be petitioned with this? And then the answer, of course, is the giants, the Watchers, the Archons, the Evkalo, uh, the Caballeri, the Cyclops, <laughs> you name it. It's all the same thing. I mean, the giants, uh, of course, the, the Cyclops were also giants, weren't they? So yes, exactly. it's all the same symbolism. And I believe... Think
0: of David, um, and, David and Goliath. Come on.
1: Yes. So I believe um, that the... Um, the great gods of Samothrace were also Cyclops. Mm-hmm. So, but there's also this um, connection to Sirius. And if you remember the cage, the original um, script for the cage, um, they were not Telosians. They were from Sirius IV, and they were uh, sort of crab Wait, Cyclops wait, wait, wait. Where,
0: where is this documented? Because I've never heard that.
1: Uh, in the making of Star Trek, which came out, I believe, in seventy one. Okay. Yeah, the original treatment of that. Because I had uh,
0: Gene's Bible, I had an original mimeographed, bound with orange cover Bible for the for the writers, mm-hmm. and it, it never went into the T- Telogians versus Syrians.
1: Well, no, the, the Syrians.
0: No, in other were, words, no, by the time yeah. I got the Bible, it was already just Telogians.
1: Mm, yeah, but if you read the making of Star Trek, um, it's the they do include the original treatment there. So anyhow, so and also Philip. Well, K. that's Dick
0: not talk- that's not trivial. That's huge. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, and Philip. K. What Dick, did Gene and all-
0: know, and when did he know it?
1: Well, I I would argue that he was being seated by Mr. Leslie Stevens, who also seated uh, Glenn Larson for Battlestar Galactica, and then also was involved in the um, very interesting and very strange, but also very corny Buck Rogers series of the 70s. So, (laughs) you know, that was kind of his job to come in and and create things for people. But anyhow, um, we're seeing all the symbolism connect. Okay. And it all has to deal with these civilizing gods that were banished to the underworld, um, largely because their inventions, their creations, their technology um, created, uh, you know, an atmosphere of just endless war on the face of the earth. If you read the book of Enoch, uh, you know, so why if these watch angels who come down Mount Hermon and so on, and uh, give mankind all these gifts of uh, you know reading the stars and reading the clouds and uh, making weapons and writing and all these kind of things why would this be a problem well the problem would be because they gave birth to this this race of giants and the race of giants were constantly at war and eating people and eating animals It just so there's the the downside, the negative side of this technology coming from outside the world.
0: Mythologies always vilify the other, the enemy. We don't know this for a fact. I mean, the fact that we have giants as part of the lineage simply means that somehow politically they were out of favor and the propaganda made them into horrible human-eating monsters to basically make them the other so you would kill them without thinking. We really well, don't know what the real history is at
1: all. No, I, no, I mean, I don't think Enoch is real history. I, I think that Enoch is um, allegory. Okay, But I think when we're talking about the giants, now, if you want to understand um, why I believe that this came to be written in Enoch, it came to be written because where was it written? It was written in, in Babylon. It was written during the Babylonian captivity right. and during the time of the Assyrians, right? But the Assyrians, everybody who sort of, all these various peoples who came into Mesopotamia and took control of, you know, this rich, fertile crescent between uh, the two rivers, um, always adapted the Sumerian religion and their language as their sacred language, okay? Now, the, the kings of the city-states of uh, the Sumerians, Akkadians, and Babylonians were called Lugals, and Lugal means giant; literally means big man. Hmm. So um, there, there is certain indications. I mean, there's many, many depictions of these kings being three or four times the size of of normal human beings, and you know, you could co- argue that this is all symbolism and so well, on. Well,
0: wait, 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 wait. There is data coming out of the Smithsonian, you know, like a century or more ago of various fossil finds of huge Mm. human bones that disappear Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. someone is censoring the reality of the genealogical tree of humanity to remove any physical evidence that in fact giants were real and lived on the earth and it's there you just have to look for it
1: well I think that when you look at the, the stories of the gods and the titans I think that this is an allegory of the defeat of these I mean, it's very easily argued that the giants were the old kings and they were literally giants they were the old kings of the ancient world particularly in mesopotamia and that shorter people <laughs> shorter people came along and deposed them and, uh, and had them all killed off. And, and of course, you can read these very sober depictions in the, don't go to that city, you know, that there, there are too many giants there, you know, stay out of that situation. So anyhow, um, you know, the Titan, the Titanic and so on, and we can get into the Titanic itself, but this is all um, part of this very complex web of events that I've been studying again, that all have to deal with releasing these old gods, these old demigods, however you choose to see them, the men of renown, whomever, from their um, cages, basically, in either the abyss or the underworld. And again, it's the same thing because of the way of the ancients understood the cosmos. So um, that's how I see it. Uh, there's a lot more to it. But We have time. Count, you can count <laughs> Osiris uh, in among these these figures, right? I mean, you know, the shaft of Osiris, uh, Osiris' tomb and so on, it's filled with water, isn't it, right? And I noticed that you had David Sarita on recently. Yeah. And I remember listening to David Sarita talk about uh, that water was uh, a medium for stargates, for uh, wormhole travel and so on. And there's also the theories that Robert kg temple talked about that there were uh that these abkalu or the the dogon um the nomo <laughs> not the dogon um you know these these very amphibious types of creatures were in hibernation or in stasis in the waters beneath europa and of course arthur c clark sort of picks that up for 2010 doesn't he so um there is a very specific
0: well wait wait you know where, sense, you, 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 sense, sense you know very, where arthur got the idea for life in the oceans of europa don't you from me I would assume. from oh. me It's acknowledging in the damn you know forward to uh, 2010
1: oh my goodness I, where's my coffee that book it should be around here I, I did I'm, not realize that Good I, for you
0: i am in there now of course 30 plus years later almost 40 nasa's basically saying there are two other huge oceans in the solar system, uh, Europa and um, Enceladus, and probably a lot more like the moons of Ganymede, Callisto, any of well, what these. What about
1: Titan itself? I mean, and Titan,
0: it's... yes, yes.
1: I mean, they, they say that it's, uh, what is it, uh, liquid ammonia though, right? Well, that's just a model. So Right. So anyhow, so I think that there is a very... It sounds very complex, right? But it really breaks down to the same understanding and the same understanding that you see today on shows like Ancient Aliens and so on. That this is all aliens and all this kind of thing. Um, it's all and not only concurrently. What else happened around the same time? A little bit before this Titan thing was this the quote-unquote UFO whistleblower, David. Krush. Right? So it all seems to be uh, congealing. It I, I to totally
0: sort of- agree. In fact, I think the metaphor I've used is that award-winning movie from, uh, is it Korea? Everything, everywhere, all at once. That's mm. what we're living through. All these apparently <clears throat> disconnected things are all part of the same matrix because the physics is up now. You can only surf when surf is up surface up and so all these things that look on the surface like they're separate they're really connected by deep tap roots underneath in our model mm. mm-hmm. wow okay we are <laughs> we are at the top of the hour so let's hold yeah, it there just waiting
1: for that <laughs>
0: <laughs> my my guest this morning is christopher knowles we have not had chris back on the show who is a brother in symbology very much like uh well, like I've been pursuing, and we kind of found that each other were looking at this amazing stuff. Speaking of Leith Stevens, as part of our breaks tonight, in homage to Leith Stevens, here is something from Worlds Without End. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Over and out.